So last week I introduced our new theme for the year, and I pointed out then that this year's theme is the third part of a progression of themes. In 2018, we worked on getting out of the boat. In 2019, we worked on going on a mission. And this year, we're going to focus on leaving no one behind. So at the end of this year, I hope we'll be able to honestly say that Netherwood Park is out of the boat on a mission with no one left behind. And last week, in addition to introducing this year's theme, I also gave you a preview of five specific areas we'll be focusing on in the coming year. And all of the areas of focus are built around one central question. And that question is, who's your one? Who's your one? So we'll be asking each other throughout the year, who's the one person you know, the one person you have a relationship, the one person who's a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, who's the one person you're going to invite to come and join you in worship here at Netherwood? Let's focus number one, who's your one to invite? And we'll dig deeper into that area this morning. Focus number two will be internally focused. We'll be asking who's your one, your one brother or sister in Christ here at Netherwood, who you will work to encourage and strengthen and support in the coming year. Focus number three will also be internally focused. We'll ask who's your one, the one child here at Netherwood, who you will strive to lift up and nurture by showing them the love of Christ. Focus number four, we'll first look in and then we'll look out. We'll be looking for who's missing. And once we recognize who's missing, we'll ask who's your one, your one brother or sister in Christ who has drifted away. The one brother or sister who's drifted away that you are in a position to reach out and help bring back. And finally, our fifth area of focus will be on the number of international college students who have connected already with the UNM Christian Student Center. These are souls who are almost literally standing at our front door. And we'll be asking, who's your one? Who's the one student, the one international student you're going to help welcome through our front door? So who's your one to invite? Who's your one to encourage? Who's your one to lift up? Who's your one to help bring back? And who's your one to welcome through our front door? Who's your one? But why just one? Why are we narrowing our focus down to one? Why not set our sights on bigger things and focus on one dozen or 100 or 1,000? Why just one? Well, our focus is going to be on one because God's mission is best accomplished one-on-one and one-to-one. Inviting and encouraging and lifting up and bringing back and welcoming, all of those things are best done on a personal level, on an intimate level, one-on-one and one-to-one. We know that's true, don't we? Let me ask you a question. What are you most likely to respond to? If you pick up your church bulletin and there's a wedding invitation in there and it says everyone is invited, are you more likely to respond to that invitation or an invitation that's delivered personally? If the bride or the groom walks up to you, looks you in the eye, hands you an invitation and says, you know, it would mean a lot to me if you came to our wedding Or how about this, which has a greater impact? If the preacher stands up here in front of all of you and says, it's really good to see all of you here. Or if a friend 
walks up to you as you walk into the church building and looks you in the eye and says, I just can't tell you how happy I am to see you this morning. Right? We know how it works, and it works best one-on-one and one-to-one. That's why we're asking, who's your one? So now let's turn our attention to our first area of a focus, our first area of focus in inviting someone we know, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, someone we know to join us in worship at church. So why would we do that? Why should we do that? Why should you do that? Well, there are lots of reasons why we should invite our one, but let me focus on just three. Number one, the first reason we should invite our one to join us at church is because it just makes sense that we would be in the matchmaking business. Be in the matchmaking business. Let me ask you this question. Apart from religion and church, what are you evangelistic about? What do you love so much that you try your best to get the people you love to love the same thing you do? I had a triathlete in my office this week. And how do you think he got started doing triathlons? Well, his brother started first, and his brother loved it, and he sold him on trying to do a triathlon. And he did try it, and he loved it, and guess what he's doing now? Well, he's introducing his fiancée to triathlons, hoping that she'll love them as well. That's just a natural thing to do, to try to bring the loves of our lives together. We're evangelistic about all kinds of things. We're evangelistic about restaurants that we love, movies that we love, TV shows that we think are great, hobbies that we particularly enjoy, books that we think are wonderful, and vacation spots that particularly were enjoyable for us. See, we love for the people we love, we love for the people we love to love the same things we do. So why wouldn't we want to bring together the people we love with the God we love? Why wouldn't we want to bring the people we love together with the God we love with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength? So that's reason number one. We invite our one so we can bring the loves of our life together. Here's reason number two. We invite our one to join us in worship at church because it works. You know, even in this social media age with blogs and podcasts and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok, even in this social media age, the vast majority of people across all ages who come to faith do so as a result of a friend or family member's invitation. Let me say that again. Even in this social media age, the vast majority of people across all ages who come to faith do so as a result of a friend or family member's invitation. It works. So does that mean that we shouldn't be using blogs and podcasts and YouTube and all the rest to bring the good news of Jesus to the world? And to bring the world to Jesus? Well, of course that's not what I mean. We should be using every tool available, everything at our disposal to bring Jesus to the world and to bring the world to Jesus. 
But we can't assume that those things are a substitute for us going out one-on-one and one-to-one. That's reason number two. We should invite because one-on-one and one-to-one works. It works to bring the loves of our lives together. Reason number three. We should be inviting our friend, our family member, our coworker, our neighbor. We should be inviting them because we have a sense of urgency. We should be inviting them because we want them to come to know God before it's too late. Because we want them to come to know God before they're left behind. If you were here last week, you heard me read a familiar passage. It's a passage from 2 Peter. And as I read that, I ask you to hear it in a different way than perhaps you have heard it in the past. And I want to do that again this morning. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. No, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the usual way that we hear that scripture, it's paraphrased, it goes like this. Hey church, God is being really patient with you. But you can't expect his patience to last forever. See, just because Jesus hasn't yet come doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to come. So church, you better get yourself right because the end could come at any time. And I want you to continue to hear that verse that way because all of us, all Christians need to get ourselves right and keep ourselves right in in anticipation of Jesus coming back. But we also need to hear it this way. Hey church, God has been really patient with you. But don't expect that patience to last forever. Just because Jesus hasn't yet come doesn't mean that Jesus isn't coming. So church, you need to get busy. You need to get busy on your mission to invite the people you love to come and know the God you love. You see, if we truly have a heart for our friends, if we truly have a heart for our family members, if we truly have a heart for our coworkers and our neighbors... And if we also truly have a heart for our God, we should also have a sense of urgency to bring those loves together. A sense of urgency to invite them to come and meet God. Peter's telling us that God's patience isn't an excuse for our procrastination. Our procrastination in inviting the people that we know and love to come and meet their God. That's why we should have a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency to invite one-on-one and one-to-one for people to come and meet the one. There's three reasons. I hope you find those reasons persuasive as to why you should invite your one. But I'm standing up here and I'm pretty sure that most of us, probably, probably the vast majority of us, really don't need persuading that inviting others is something that we should do. 
Instead, I think that for most of us, we probably need to be persuaded that inviting others is something that we can do. And that's where I want to turn now. I want to start the process of persuading you that inviting your one is something that you not only should do, but it's something that you actually can do. So let's start that process by talking about a couple of things that hold us back. A couple of things that make us hesitate. A couple of things that keep us from acting on what we know we should do. And there are lots of things that hold us back. But I think that most of what holds us back can really be narrowed down to two things. Just two things. See, we don't invite people because we have a fear of rejection. And we don't invite people because of our lack of trust. We have a fear of rejection and we have a lack of trust. First, rejection. Right? Nobody likes to be rejected. Well, no one who's mentally healthy likes to be rejected, right? None of us like to be told no. You know, most of us didn't ask someone to marry us if we weren't pretty sure they were going to say yes. We don't invite people to come over for dinner if we don't really think that they want to come over for dinner. We don't like to be told no. We don't like to be rejected. And we often don't invite people to church because we're afraid that they will say no. And if they say no, then we know how we're going to feel. And we know that we are going to feel like they're not only rejecting something that we love, but they're rejecting us. And I don't want to minimize those fears because many people will say no. But I want us to take a moment. I want us to take a moment and look at that invitation that you give someone else through their eyes, through the eyes of the person you're inviting. You see, we need to understand that coming to church is very familiar to us. It's very comfortable to us. Oftentimes it's very comforting to us. But that isn't true of the people who don't share our experiences with church. You see, for many of our friends and many of our family members and neighbors and coworkers, the thought of coming to church is absolutely terrifying. It's the fear of the unknown, right? It's the fear of being an outsider. It's the fear of embarrassing themselves in this strange place that's full of a bunch of strangers. See, I want you to know it is a significant act of courage to walk through those doors back there. To walk through the doors of a church if you don't know who's going to be in there and you don't know what's going to happen in there. It takes a lot of courage. You have to overcome fears. And that's why it's very important that when you issue your invitation to your one, it's an invitation to come with me to church. Instead of an invitation to just come to church. You see, your one shouldn't walk through those doors alone. They need to know that you'll walk in with them. And that you'll stay with them. And you'll introduce them to these strangers that are in here. And that you'll guide them through. And that you'll be there to try to answer their questions. That you'll do everything you can to reduce their fear and reduce their stress. That fear and stress that comes from being a stranger 
a stranger in a strange place. And I want you to know that if you will assure them that you understand their hesitancy, that you understand their fears, and that you will do everything within your power to reduce their anxiety, I want you to know they're much more likely to say yes. But even if you do that, some will say no. And I want you to know that, know right now that that's okay. And that's been going on forever. From the time that the very first invitations were issued by the very first disciples, from that time until now, the reality has been that some say yes and others say no. And that's sad, but that's okay. You see, you're not responsible for their response. You're only responsible for the invitation. And you need to know that those whose hearts are ready are going to say yes. And those whose hearts aren't ready are going to say no. And that's sad. But it's okay. But you also need to know this. Unlike knocking on the doors of strangers' houses, the vast majority of your friends will be gracious. They'll be gracious even if they say no. And you also need to know this. Sometimes the no that they give you now turns out to be a not now but later. See, sometimes that invitation that you give now turns out to be a seed. It's a seed that's planted. It's a seed that's planted and eventually becomes a yes. So if your friend or your family member or your neighbor says no, don't feel rejected. And don't reject them. Don't reject the person who says no to your invitation because when their heart is ready, guess who they're going to turn to? They're going to turn to you. And their no is going to turn into a yes. So what happens when they do say yes? What happens when they say yes, I'll come to church with you? What do you do then? Well, first of all, you need to do what you promised to do, right? You need to walk in with them and walk beside them and guide them and introduce them. You need to make sure that they don't feel alone. Make sure that they don't feel like they're a stranger in this strange place because they know you and you're with them. But there's something else that you should do before they ever arrive at the church doors. And that thing you need to do is you need to, you need to pull back the curtain of the church. You need to pull back the curtain and, and show them, tell them what they're going to experience when they do walk through these doors. You should tell them what things are going to look like, even where you might sit. You should talk about songs and prayers and sermons that they're going to hear. You should talk to them about communion and what that means and what it's for and who it's for. You should let them know that they're under no obligation at all to put money in the plate when it comes by. And you should also let them know that there's no one in this building who is any more important than they are. And you should also let them know that they may have lots of questions and you probably won't have the answer to all of those questions. But you need to make them this deal. When they do have a question and you don't know the answer, you will tell them honestly, I don't know. But we can find out. Because there are plenty of people here who can help find out. 
And finally, you should let them know that when they walk in those doors, when they walk in through those church doors, they're going to be among a bunch of flawed people. They're going to be among a bunch of broken people. But a bunch of people who are doing their very best to serve and honor and worship their God. Their God who is the healer. Their God who is the forgiver. The God who works powerfully through imperfect people. And who works powerfully through imperfect churches. See, that's the way we deal with our fear. It's the way we deal with their fear. Their fear of church, their fear of being a stranger in a strange place. Our fear of being rejected. That's how we deal with fear. How about trust? How do we deal with our trust issues? How do we deal with those? So what do I mean by trust issues? Well, I want you to know I'm guilty of having trust issues when it comes to inviting people to church. Maybe you are too. Oftentimes our trust issue sounds something like this. You know, I'd really like to invite my friend to come, but I don't trust that the song service will be good enough. Or I'd really like to invite my neighbor to come, but I don't trust that that sermon will be accessible enough. I'd really like to invite my coworker, but I'm afraid that people may not be friendly enough. And on and on it goes. But, you know, that's just us putting our trust in the wrong places and the wrong people. Moses wasn't articulate enough, right? David wasn't faithful enough. The apostles weren't educated enough. Paul wasn't innocent enough. And on and on it goes. None of us are enough. But we serve a God who is enough. You see, true trust is trust that's put in the one who is truly trustworthy. Okay, say that three times with me really fast, okay? Let me slow it down. I'll say it one more time. True trust is trust put in the one who is truly trustworthy. True trust is trust that's put in God. So here's what I'm suggesting. Even though the song service may not be great... Even though the sermon may not be wonderful, even though some of us may be grumpy instead of friendly on that Sunday morning, invite your one anyway. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God's word. Trust that God is at work in this place and that he will use his flawed servants to achieve his purposes. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in the power of God's word, no matter how imperfectly it's delivered. Put your trust in the words of Hebrews chapter 4, where we're told the word of God is living and active. The word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Put your trust in God and His Word. Put your trust in what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 55. Trust God's Word when He says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. Listen to God's promise. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's what we're trusting. That's what we're trusting when we invite people to join us here to worship our God. Not trusting the song leader, even though our song leaders are trustworthy. We're not trusting the preacher, even though your preacher tries to be trustworthy. We're not putting our trust in the prayer leaders, even though they work to be trustworthy. We're not even putting our trust in the fact that maybe somebody might be grumpy that morning. So you can't control all of those things. But you can put your trust in the one who is in control of all things. Put your trust in God and his word. It will not return to him empty. It will accomplish what he desires. It will achieve the purpose for which it was sent. It will touch the hearts It'll touch the souls. It'll touch your one if you'll just bring them to church. Trust in God. And trust that our flawed church full of flawed people will be able to point to our perfect God. Trust that your one will find God here. Trust God. Finally, let me give you something that you can control. This is something that will have immeasurable impact on your one. So you need to know this. Your one will respond to your joy. See, don't expect your one to come to love something that you don't love. Don't expect your one to come to delight in something that you don't. Don't expect your one to find joy in God and joy in his people and joy in his church and joy in worship if you don't. So you not only need to prepare yourself to invite your one, you need to prepare yourself to come and worship with great joy. And trust that your joy in God will be contagious to your one. So Netherwood Park, I want you to boldly invite and joyfully worship and just watch God bless us and especially God bless your one. So who's your one? Let's pray. Father, give us a sense of urgency to bring the loves of our lives together. To bring our friends and family members and our coworkers and our neighbors to come to know you. Father, help us to overcome our fears of rejection. Father, help us to place our trust in you. Father, help us to trust you to use these broken vessels to bless our one. Give us courage, give us strength, give us compassion, give us a heart for those who don't know you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, and all the church says, amen.
Let's stand and let's sing. Let's joyfully praise our Lord.